What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Tatiana Melendez on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her journey. Tatiana, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you like. All right. Well, my name is Tatiana, um, and I've been married to my husband for um, seven and a half years. We have two beautiful kids, a seven-year-old and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old. Basically, we have two kids. And um, if I if I am honest, the two kids we've had were were not planned. Um, um, Audrey and Tristan came to our lives. You know, it, it was a huge blessing, um, and um, it wasn't planned, but it also wasn't a surprise. I don't know how, it, this like that in between of um, of like you know, you really want kids, but you're just gonna let it happen if it happens type of situation. And um, they both came to our lives, and and it was it was a, it was a great blessing. Um, with the third kid, um, we were not looking to get pregnant. And if I'm very raw and honest, when I found out I was pregnant, I wasn't the happiest because um, I, you know, we were trying to pay off debt. We we were just kind of like financially in a situation where we're like, oh, we cannot afford another kid, but when the kit came, we came to it. We were like, you know what? It's another one of those babies that we didn't plan, but here it is, you know. So we took it like that, and we and we loved it. We we, you know, started. You know, we went to our first doctor's visit. That first doctor's visit was very very normal. It was basically yes, you're pregnant, and the doctor did a sonogram. Baby was healthy, healthy heartbeat. I remember looking at my husband, and he was. He looked happy. He's always wanted three kids. So this is something that he really, um, he really, really wanted. And we were kind of like, okay, this is, this is happening. We kind of like accepted, like, this is happening. And we told our daughter, um, she's seven years old, you know, by, by the time she was not, but, you know, this happened um, October of 20, um, September of 2018, actually. So, um and um, we were kind of like, okay, you know, we're pregnant. And we, I had my ups and downs, you know. I've, I know I've always struggled with some type of depression and anxiety, but I've always bottled that in because my background, you don't talk about it, you know. You know, I'm, I'm a Latina. So um, when, when you grow up, I mean, and I know a lot of people that have grown up here um, have certain ways, but when you, when you grow up, the way I grew up, you just don't, you just don't talk about it. You spray it out. And, um, and, um, there was some anxieties that came with it. And, um, and, you know, and I had my confusing thoughts and conversations. I had a good friend at work that I confided in and I told her basically everything I was feeling throughout this pregnancy and how I was feeling and all that. And, um, going back to the week um, that I found out about my miscarriage, going to the week that I found out about miscarriage, I remember that week being kind of like off. It started on a Monday and I remember that week perfectly. It's amazing to see that after 
over a year, I still remember that week so perfectly. And um, yeah, I started on a Monday and I remember telling my friend saying, something's off. I, I don't feel a connection anymore. It's so weird. And she was like, it's okay. You'll feel it. It's all right. And I'm like, it's just, it was just an odd, it was an odd week. It was a very, very weird week. And um, Wednesday was my appointment. So I was kind of like, once I see the baby, you know, it just will all go away and I'll just feel better again. And um, I remember that Wednesday I went in and um, I was with the nurse and I went in through all of the details of like, where am I going to deliver? And they treated me like I was a pro. It was my third baby. I felt very confident in myself. I told them everything I wanted to do. And like, you know, that was the, that was the, that was the week that they were introducing me to my second trimester. That This happened exactly. Um, I, that Friday was going to be my 12 week anniversary. So this happened at 11 five. Um, so that Wednesday was 11 weeks and five days. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. And, and she asked all the questions and I felt so confident. I even got a gift bag with like, all these things that they give you in OB OBGYN offices, like about breastfeeding, about formula feeding, about, you know, being comfortable with both. I remember it was a very beautiful gift bag. And, you know, they were talking to me, the doctor came in and we were like chatting it up and, you know, they know me again, third baby. They were treating me like I was a pro. So there was that confidence part of me. And there's that relationship with the doctor's office that they all felt like, comfortable you know with me and I didn't even think about you know about what could happen it not not for one second that I thought of that you know and um he's you know lays me down and you know starts you know looking for a heartbeat and I hear silence and I know for the first three or four seconds you kind of like feel silence um until he finds that right spot where the heartbeat is but I saw his face and I could tell he was trying to be professional, but also I could tell the worry in his, in his face. And this is a doctor that has seen me since I've moved to Tennessee. Um, so he, he kind of knew me in that aspect. And um, he just said, come to the sonogram room. I just want to check. You know, sometimes he tells me sometimes the baby is hiding in a place that is weird. So I just want to make sure I can get that heartbeat. Um, at that moment, I felt like I knew, but I pushed it out because I was, there's always that hope that you, that you kind of, you know, that you're like, yeah, he's going to find the heartbeat. This doesn't happen. You know, it was such a, 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 I was in such an unrealistic state of mind because I've had two kids and I was walking in, you know, chatting it up and I'm very talkative and I'm very, usually very vivid person. If, if I get, if I know a crowd, I'll go in and just talk it up, laugh, make jokes. So that's how I initially walked into the office, the doctor's office. I, I was very confident. And, um, I laid on the table and when he put the sonogram camera thing in my belly, I felt the first tear come out because I somehow knew at that at that moment, I, I was like, okay, all right, this is happening. 
and he kept moving and the first words that came out of his mouth were um i'm sorry and i just started bawling i just started bawling i just started like um i'm even like nervous thinking about it now um i was kind of like okay this happened all right um and it was difficult i i started crying he kind of pat me and said you know explain everything to me so me this he talked to me about the statistics and you know what happens you know some women that haven't reached 12 weeks this happens too and i've known of the statistics um um with my two other pregnancies I, I knew that already i knew that could be that could in terms of information i had it all down that i've had two kids i know what could happen in terms of like you know at the 12 week mark and how the percentage has gone go down after that even though there's plenty of women who had miscarriages after two weeks i mean after 12 weeks i mean and um it was it was it was pretty rough um I remember it was a Wednesday. I still, I just still remember it so well. And I, I remember crying. He left me in the room by myself for just a few seconds, just for me to kind of like cry and realize what was going on. My first instinct was wanting to call my husband. He was at work and I was like, I oh, don't waste your time coming with me. It's just a routine visit. So um, with the first one, I remember he came to me with every, for every visit. But um, with the second one, I was like, ah, I still got it. So with the second one, he would go on and off to some visits. And um, with this one, he went to the first one, but this was the second one. So I was like, eh, you know, I can handle it. You know, so I, I, I don't need him there. So my first thought was wanting to just call my husband. And um, I wiped out my tears. And I kept the first words that I said to myself, this happened to a lot of people, you need to get over this. And that was the first sign of self-talk abuse towards myself of like, I put that in my head. I said in my head, you need to get over this. Cry, but you need to get over it because that's the type of attitude that I've had all my life growing up. I remember going back and going through, um, some anxiety and depression stages in my life when I was a kid. And, um, and I said that those words to myself a lot, said it in Spanish, but still <laughs> it was the same words. I was like, Nope, don't cry. Get over this. You know, you, you can't be this weak. So, um, um, and I remember growing up, I even, um, I bottled so many things up that I started having chest pains and, and a lot of, um, anxiety and a lot of, um, that I didn't know back then that that's what you called it, to be honest. Um, and I remember my parents taking me to the cardiologist and doing all the EKG exams. And even the cardiologist was like, no, they're just stab, you know, and I kept saying, you know, I have stabbing pains in, in my chest, which this is. And I remember I was a kid and I did not understand what the pain was about. But I, I never said, I never said, yeah, there's some stress going on. I never like, I never said those words out loud. So, you know, I would go to the doctor's visits and just kind of keep it all in. And I'd be like, no, I just need to get over this. I just need to wait for this to be over. So um, 
in retrospect, the, the way I handled this is the same way I've handled everything else in my life. But this is not like everything else in my life. This is a child that I had just lost and I'm trying to force myself to get over it. And um, this was a whole different level of, you know, pain or ailment that I've had in my life. You know, it's, it, it's different. So I walked out of the doctor's office. I, st I still felt like crying. One of the nurses came to hug me and she was nervous. She, she looked pretty, which is the same one that received me and gave me the gift basket. I left the gift basket behind and she looked in shock too. She was like, I'm so sorry. And I could tell there was some nervousness behind her. There was like a nervous laugh, but also a nervous sorrow. She just kind of like gave me a hug and it's more like she didn't, want to deal with it with me I, i've gotten along with well with her through all these years and i'm sure um and i'm sure that she has heard and seen um, other patients that have gone through this and i don't know how she's reacted to those for those but you know she felt sorry but even she was kind of like a little bit taken back and in shock so i brushed it off i i said thank you and i and you know and I immediately went to the front desk and she told me, you know, um, when I was in the hallway, the doctor, you know, you know, had already gone to me, you know, we were talking about this, you know, last details, but before he left the room, going back to that, he, he did go over, um, you know, what this is and, you know, you're getting a DNC. I understand why he didn't give me the option he said, you know, we are history with pregnancies and with your health. Um, not that I am a very, very sick person. You know, I've, my pregnancies have been rough because, um, especially my first one, because, you know, I'm a very, very petite person who lost a ton of weight during her, who's lost a ton of weight during her pregnancy. In retrospect, you know, I went down to 75 pounds in my first pregnancy. I was hospitalized. I needed an IV. There was fear of you know, potentially having kidney failure because, you know, of how dehydrated I was. Um, and he knew that history. That was with another doctor um, when I lived in Orlando, but he knew that history because he had it all in him. And, you know, and it was the first trimester thing. And he was like, you know, I don't know how sick you're going to get, you know, if, if I let you do this naturally. I'm worried about that. And, you know, you know, with, you know, how petite you are and how, um, how you've handled pregnancies before. And, you know, I think he thought was like, you're, you're, I'm going to end up hospitalized if I, if, if he lets me do it the natural way. So he didn't even give me the option. He just said, I'm going to schedule your DNC for Friday. Are you okay with this? That was a Wednesday though. So I said, okay, all right. You know, but I remember that part of the conversation. I remember well, because all I remember him was saying GNC, me nodding my head and saying, okay, and there was a lot of blurb after that. And I don't remember that. That's why I jumped immediately to being in the hallway with the nurse. Because to be honest, I do, re I do know that he covered the details at that time. I don't remember what he said. All I remember was, he's not letting me do it in a natural way. You're doing a DNC. Go to the front desk and get the, the, and get the details done. And I, it's like, I, I, I I know because of the person he is, I know he, he was compassionate because of the person he is. Do I remember it? Absolutely not. I just remember DNC, go to the front desk now. 
and um, I went to the front desk and she was very nice. She scheduled it for me and I stormed out of the office. I didn't, I just wanted to call my husband. I just wanted somebody to listen to me. And I remember when I called my husband, I was crying. But the first thing that came out of my mouth where I am so sorry. Sorry to interrupt today's episode. I have some good news. Together, we have been able to pay $500 towards somebody's infertility debt. You guys know life after miscarriage can be quite expensive. If that's a DNC, infertility treatments, IVF, adoption, testing, you name it. We've all probably felt some sort of financial burden in this whole life after miscarriage. So in this episode, I have dropped links to our Lamb Fam merch, sweatshirts, t-shirts, tank tops, 100% of the profit goes towards these $500 life after miscarriage giveaways and will continue to do so. So go grab yourself some merch, take some pictures, share it on Instagram, and let's continue to support the Lamb Fam. I love you guys so much. I literally could not do this without you so thank you somehow yes I was sorry for his loss too but I was apologizing to him for something that I had done and as if as if it was something that I had done and I was like now looking back to it I'm like The guilt started that day. The self-hatred and guilt started that day. And, you know, looking back to it, I was like, you know, now I was, I'm like, you know, thinking about, you know, September slash October last year was my anniversary. And, you know, it's been, a, it, it was a rough year. And the main reason why it was a rough year is because I have not been able to let go of the guilt. I apologized to my husband and my main focus was, you need to finish work. Because I'm the only one who does my role where I work. And my biggest worry was like, if I'm not there, who's going to do it? So I remember calling my husband, apologizing to him, crying on the phone with him. He cried. He felt it too. He was distraught. He left home to be with me. Um, My parents were in my house when, you know, my babies were in the house. My kids were in the house. And, you know, and um, I remember um, driving home, walking in, telling my parents, and I remember my mom was kind of like, oh. my mom took a big gasp and she was in shock. She was feeding my son at that time. You know, she was, she had made something to eat for him. And I just kind of like, my main thought was, I need to, you know, I need to talk to my husband. I talked to my husband when he came home. We talked about it when he finally made it to his door. I, re- I realized he made it to the parking lot and he didn't go, on, he didn't go upstairs to the apartment for a while. So he stayed in the, in the, in the car for, for a long time. And I kind of like, you know, let him have his time there, but then met him outside when 
he came upstairs and we embraced each other. We cried. I kept apologizing to him. And again, yes, I was sorry for his loss, but that was not the intention of my apology. My apology was more like, I've somehow failed my family. I don't even know where that came from, to be honest. I don't even know why that guilt started sitting in there. Could have been because, you know, I started saying, you know, could it be because, you know, I was as, I was in the beginning when I found out I was pregnant, I was not as, as excited as my husband was because I was worried about money. You know, is it because I should have been happier when I first saw the pregnancy test? I'm trying to put it all together of why that guilt started sitting there, but it was, it was very rough because the self, the negative self-talk started that day when all I needed, I needed to give myself so much love and compassion. I gave myself the opposite and I regret that so bad. I regret, I regret my attitude towards myself. I wish I had had the compassion that I had for my husband. I wish I had it for myself. And I remember it was a big, that day was a big blur. I remember at night I grabbed my laptop, um, got on my computer and just started working. I started working, 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 working. I need to get this done. I need to get this done. I sent out an email to a couple of coworkers that I, I was working on a weekly project. And I said, you know, just want to let you know, this is what I'm going through, but I want to get this done. So I need to finish this. And um, I went ahead and put everything together. I must have worked for until like 10 p.m. or 11. And I remember my husband coming out of the room, checking on me and then going back into the, going back into the, the bedroom and then coming out. But even he didn't know how to address that with me. He just kind of like let me have that, my space. And I remember working, 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 working. And looking back, that was my way of avoiding what had just happened. There's so many signs. There's so many things that now I know that I would not do again um, when going through this. Is just of trying to make my brain avoid what just happened. Trying to make myself, trying to tell myself, this is just, just what just happened. You know, it, it, that's exactly what I was trying to tell myself. This is just what, what happens. It's fine. And it not, it's not fine. And I had a year battle because of that attitude. Um, I remember breaking down a few times um, that between that day and my, in my DNC, I remember, you know, breaking down in the parking garage of the hospital, going out of the parking garage of the hospital after they had to do blood work, they had to do blood work and all that. And I left and then I came back um, the mo morning after. That was Thursday. Thursday, I had to go and get all the blood work done and all the stuff because the doctor didn't want me to be there for two hours getting blood work and doing the pre-op stuff. He wanted me to do the pre-op stuff um, Thursday. And then so I could go um, in the morning straight to um, getting the DNC. He didn't want me to wallow and all of that. And I, I get it. I understand. So I remember how nervous my husband was during the DNC. Um, you know, when I was getting ready to get the DNC, everybody in the operating room, you know, everybody in the, you know, before 
anesthesia people and nurses were so compassionate, so nice. I can tell they were trying to keep me busy, asking questions, talking to me, making jokes. There was this one nurse who, who you can tell she was a spitfire. She's like, I, I she was me in, I would say, 20 years. <laughs> she was a spitfire, talkative, trying to be the happy person in the room. And, you know, we were just talking to each other. She did in the beginning when I told her when I was there, she, she showed me a lot of compassion. She said, I am so sorry. She grabbed my hand. But with my attitude, she realized that I was trying to get my head out of it. So she went along with it. She was so funny and so nice. And um, my husband came in, you know, he gave me a kiss. He told me, it's going to be great. I'm just going to be just right outside. It's, the doctor came in. It's not going to take long, he told me. And, you know, I was just working through it. I was like, doing deep breaths because in my head, I'm like, I just need to get over this. I just need to get, I just need to get, make it to another day. After the DNC and after I went home, that's when the real battle started. That's when the whole self-talk of like, get over this was not working. That's when it all started creeping in. And um, I spent that weekend at home and I went back to work on Tuesday. I, I wanted to go back to work Monday and my husband very lovingly talked to me and said, you know, try to take more time if you can. And the main um, leader in my office, I have a direct leader, but, you know, I had a direct leader at a time, but his leader basically sent an, an email saying, take the time that you need, you know, in that one line. But I feel like I just ignored it because it, it was such a high level person telling me that. And I'm like, well, my direct leader knows what I'm working on. So I don't think like I have to, I can take as much time as I can. I feel like I have to go. So I went to work. Um, I went to work that Tuesday. And everybody noticed that I was not the same. Everybody but me. <laughs> it was a, it was a very rough week. And I tried to mask it all with doing more exercise, you know, my daughter had just started one sport and I wanted to be there for her. And the day of the opening was the weekend that, you know, the day that she was going to be, um, it was a brand new school that was opening and that, you know, and it was a brand new jujitsu school that was opening and she was kind of like, you know, excited about it. And I'm the one who signed her up for it because it's a sport I, I, I love and I've seen, you know, and, and I couldn't go so that my husband had to take her. And the fact that I couldn't be there that weekend kills me, you know, it just killed me. It was that I was like, I want to be there for my daughter, but it's Friday, you know, I just had DNC Friday on Saturday. I'm going through this. And um, so um, I was kind of upset about that. And um, but that Tuesday when I went to work, I was kind of like, you know, yeah, I just, you know, everybody was kind of like, they didn't know how to react with me. Some people were like, honestly, you know, sorry. And some people just didn't know how to talk about it. And I didn't want to talk about it. So I just kind of like went, okay, this is what it feels like. So I just kept on going and going and going. My symptoms of depression, anxiety started um, that week. And um, I try to exercise more. I even went to the jiu-jitsu school to do an initiating class. And even the instructor was like, your husband said you had a medical procedure done and it's been a week. Are you, are you okay with doing this? And I said, yeah. 
and I did the whole exercise and the whole routine and it was very rough. It was self-defense slash, you know, submissions type stuff. And I used a lot of adrenaline that day. And um, it was that same, it was that same week I I first started to work. It was at the end of that week. And I remember driving back to work from that lunch break and stopping in the parking lot. That was the first time I bawled out and cried after my DNC. I had cried here and there, kind of like teared up and stuff like that. But that was the first time that I just kind of like let it all out where I even screamed in the car. I just kind of like, just let it all out. I wiped my tears and went into the office. And all of that started brewing through brewing throughout the weeks and months. The depression and anxiety add insomnia to that. Add me doing drastic changes to my hair. I shaved half of my head. <laughs> it's, it's looking back, it was just so many cries for help. <laughs> and um, I just kind of like went down this spiral of like guilt and negative self-talk and depression so much depression so much guilt so much guilt um i try to be there for my kids my children but you know i started secluding myself to the room and being a lot more on edge and being unhappy feeling unhappy finding things that made me unhappy and struggling so much I feel like throughout the weeks and months that started happening less and less, but it still happened. The anxiety was still there. The depression was still there. And, you know, I even had to um, go to my um, primary care. Um, My OB is a guy who I adore. I love him, but I feel like I needed to talk to a woman. I feel like I needed to talk to, maybe talking to a woman professional will help me with this. So I made an appointment for primary care. She was so gracious. She was so nice. We ended up talking for a long time. I don't know how much she charged the insurance for that. All I know is that the visit ended up costing me a little bit, but um, it was worth it because I I had somebody I could talk to. She was so amazing talking to me, but I still felt like a cold brick wall at that time. And that was a few months after my DNC. So I was a few months after my miscarriage. And it's so funny because when I think and talk about it, in my brain, I refused the part of the miscarriage. I always refer it as my DNC. I always default to the Friday. I don't default to that Wednesday. Prepping for this podcast made me default to that Wednesday. All this time, my date in my head has been Friday the 28th because that's when the DNC happened, when that's when the medical procedure happened. That tells you how mechanical my brain works. I have avoided going back to that Wednesday for so long. And I've been neglecting that Wednesday for a year when this is, this is leading up to the anniversary, which is the end of September of, um, of, of this past year, um, of 2019. Um, I remember battling through it up and down through it though. That anniversary, you know, that um, that first year, and um, the month leading up to the anniversary, um, the weeks leading up to the anniversary, I got an invite. The instructor that had opened the school 
wanted to celebrate the first year of the school with the first kids. And my daughter was one of the first kids. Seeing that invite completely flooded my brain with all, it all came crashing down a year later. Yes, I had my ups and downs throughout that first anniversary, that first, you know, that first year, you know, leading up to when it happened in September, then leading up to that new year in January of 2019 and going through the entire year of 2019 with my ups and downs and my anxiety and depression and my insomnia. And I remember saying some <laughs> to my friends, you know, I just want to sleep because I wasn't sleeping. Um, I I went through so many ups and downs. Um, the doctor uh, talked about, uh, my primary care doctor talked about giving me some medication and I completely was like, no, I feel like I can take care of this. So that all happened during, that all happened during that first year of me rejecting medication, me saying, no, I need to get over this. Like I was so mad at myself because I was like, I, I just need to get over this. And that first anniversary was when all it all came crashing down. I started having the insomnia, depression, and anxiety feelings more than anything else. When I saw that invite, it all came crashing down. And I went into a deep, I feel like it was a deep, deep, dark hole. My entire world came crashing down at my first anniversary of my miscarriage. Um, the physical pain, muscle aches, leg pain, arm pain, chest pains, back pain. I had no idea what was going on with me. I remember sitting in my desk one day, calling my husband and telling him, my arms and my chest are hurting and I don't know why. I am in pain. My body's in pain. I'm functioning, I'm functioning on ibuprofen. I'm not sleeping. I'm losing focus at work. People are noticing it. I have, even my leaders have talked to me about my performance and how it hasn't been the same and how I'm doing things that are not normal. And it finally took a scared at the primary care doctor. I went to see my primary care doctor. She wasn't there. And I felt like I needed to let everything out. That was on the first year anniversary of my um, miscarriage. And the nurse that was there, she didn't know me. She didn't know who it was. She didn't know my situation. And I just started blurring all these things out to her it was a cry for help it was a cry for help and I was I was like I don't know what else to do I feel like I've been trying to suppress all these miscarriage thoughts and feelings and what happened when I lost my baby that it exploded a year later it exploded a year later I've been battling my body and my brain for a year and she got immediately it brought out red flags for her and she immediately went ahead and started looking for me to go to places and people. And I realized she didn't want to leave me, let me leave the doctor's office. So she was in fear that I was suicidal. She was in fear. And through all the battles of depression, self-harm never came to my head. Um, the thought of me leaving this world came to my head, but the thought of me causing self-harm didn't. So... I was so confused. My phone doesn't work, you know, so I'm like trying to text my husband. And at that moment, it was a wake up call for me. You need help. You need to talk to somebody about this. 
and um, I, my doctor who realized this happened at her doctor's office immediately put me in contact with another doctor of hers because she was out of town. She, um, they said, what happened at this doctor's office? Sorry, you know, the nurse doesn't know you. She's never seen you. Your doctor does. She knows you. She's been seeing you for five years. So she knows exactly what's going on because she has history of you coming in for when your miscarriage happens. Go to this doctor. When I went to this doctor and I let it all out to her, she basically was very honest. She said, your body is starting to react to the symptoms you've been avoiding for a year. That's why all the pain, that's why all the physical pain, that's why you can't sleep. I was averaging, averaging two or three hours um, a night asleep the month leading to my anniversary. So I was at my wit's end. I was about to just kind of like, I'm like, I just, I just want to lay down forever and wake me up in two weeks. That's when she looked at me and she said, you need this medication. She prescribed me a medication because she was worried about my weight. Again, I am a petite person. And when I was weighed at the doctor that day, I was 80 pounds. The doctor was very worried. She was like, I'm worried about your weight. I'm worried about your lack of sleep. I'm worried about your lack of appetite. All the symptoms that you're giving me tells me that you're majorly depressed and we need to tackle this. She gave me a medication. She recommended therapist. And in that anniversary was when I finally realized that all these feelings that I've been suppressing since I was a kid, a teenager, and all this anxiety, all this fear, all this depression, came crashing down at me with my miscarriage. And I, even after my miscarriage, I neglected myself for a year until I finally realized that I needed help. And let me go ahead and say this, and I'm stealing this words from a mom that lost her kid. <laughs> she said, you know, I'm going to adjust it to my own ones. Not for one second do I believe. I'm a Christian. And I had to hear a lot of people telling me things, maybe it was got plans, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. Somebody had the thought of telling my husband, maybe there was something wrong with the baby and you know, God didn't want you to have that burden. And the fact that that came out of somebody's mouth baffles me because what, you're a Christian and you think God will not, God doesn't think that I'm worthy of a special baby. I would take that baby no matter what. But the fact that people try to find these words to tell you to make themselves feel better because they do not know how to handle grief, which is a, a situation that we go through in, in life. We don't know how to handle grief. We don't know how to handle grief for other people. And we don't have to know how to handle grief for ourselves. So we end up saying all these things that can cause so much harm. And I remember people saying these words and, one day, this mom who lost a kid, she was going through something, you know, it, she was in stage, I was listening to her talk, and, you know, she wasn't talking to me directly, but I felt like she was, because she said, I'm going to paraphrase it in my, in my own um, experience, not for one second do I believe God took this baby away from me, because I've been neglecting myself for so long, but I believe that God used this as a way for me to go ahead and open my eyes 
to what I've been struggling for years and to open my eyes of what I had just come through in that year of losing the baby and not paying attention to the symptoms, not paying attention to what I was feeling until the very end that I started having physical symptoms. Nobody likes pain. So you could be going through the hardest time of your life, but once your body starts hurting, once you start feeling the physical ailments, you want to get help. And that was me. My, my mind has been hurting for a long time. My heart has been hurting for a long time. But it was not until that I started feeling the physical pain, the muscle pain, the leg pain, the back pain, the headaches, the insomnia. That was not until, and looking back, I wish I had been so much more graceful to myself. I still beat myself up to how I reacted to myself when I found out um, about the miscarriage and after the DNC. I, I beat myself up over that. I'm going to therapy. The therapist even is trying to help me out with that, to let go of that guilt. Because what matters now is the now. I finally getting help. I'm finally trying to get better. And there's a lot of things that I need to do. But, um, but the neglect part is what I would encourage people to do. Do not do what I did. <laughs> do not neglect yourself. I know it's a hard time and I know it's a hard process to go through. But above it all, you have to sit back and take care of your heart, take care of yourself, take care of your mental health. So you can go ahead and take care of others. That's what I wish I had done. That's what I wish I had realized from all of this. Is just to realize that this happened to you. Acknowledge it. And if you have to say it out loud, say it out loud. But don't suppress it. I suppressed it for a year. And it came out of me in ways that people realized, but I didn't. I tried to suppress it for so long that it wasn't until a year later that I was able to actually grieve my baby. It was so self-consuming that I did not realize that there was a baby there that I had to grieve. And that started in my year anniversary. That grieving process started in my year anniversary. And I'm still raw in it. I'm still going through it. I started getting help. And my first anniversary, which is end of September of last year, so it's only been a few months. But I, I have to understand that it happened to me. It is an awful thing that happened. It is nothing that I, it is, it's not something that I should have brushed off the way I did. And I am so glad that I finally came to the time that I'm just getting help now. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. You go, girl. That I don't. Was I don't know about. I'm sorry for going all over the place. No, you did so good. I am so proud of you for really honing in on the mental health side of things. Because um, it's it is it's something that I think a lot of us suppress, and we just kind yeah. of like. And and it's because of society too, you know, like society yes. tells us that that's what we're supposed to do. Um, and that's what I'm hoping to gain out of this podcast is, you know, letting other women who are going through this know that that's not what we're supposed to do. And there's a exactly. whole community of us who are going through it. And um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to jump on and share your story, especially because like you said, 
this, it's only been a few months since you've really started to, you know, deal with this. Yes. Um, and I appreciate it. Yeah. The fact that I, that I t- gave myself only a year that, that I gave myself, that it took a year for me to get to this point. I, I, I don't want another woman to do this to themselves because it feels like I went through it, waited a year. And now finally that I'm going to therapy and I'm taking care of my anxiety and depression. I'm finally getting to understand exactly what happened to me and it's a long process. And I, Mm -hmm. and I, and I wish I had, if I could go back to my young self, you know, to myself, the, when it happened, grieve, understand, give grace to yourself, love yourself. And I did not love myself for that year. (laughs) Do I even need to ask you what advice you would give to everybody else? Cause I feel like I asked that at the end of every episode, but I feel like you've just loaded this episode. <laughs> yeah oh yeah no that's going back to yeah self-love do not like neglect your mental health your mental health is yeah. very important your grieving is very important you have to allow yourself to grieve because if not it'll affect you in ways that you don't want it to so mm-hmm. self-love a lot of self-love anxiety lies to you a lot don't listen to anxiety just self-love and go with it go with it and process it your own way nobody else can tell you how to process it process it your own way yes now if somebody yeah. wants to reach out to you where could they do so um i am i am on instagram and um okay. is the instagram that i opened up when i first had my first baby and her name is audrey so it's tati t-a-t-i underscore loves l-u-v-s underscore audrey so basically um my direct my direct message is there if you want to follow me. It's, it's not a popular Instagram that I have. It's a family-friendly Instagram that I have just to put my kids' pictures. And if I'm out, you know, with my family, I like to put stuff in there. But um, I'm not, like, I, I don't have a big following on Instagram. It's, it's not something that I do. It's just I came across your podcast in this grieving process. Somebody posted it on a forum that I was trying to get help from. And I just kind of, like, I'm so glad I found your podcast because it was part of that year of like, after I got help, I started looking for information and opening myself up more and I found your podcast. So I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful to you. (laughs) Well, I'm so happy that it found you. You guys slide on into her DMs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you have any questions, I mean, I know it's hard to talk to your doctor of mental health. If you have any questions about how I handle that and, you know, because it's important. It's very important. And I want anybody who, who's gone through this, if a lot of people don't need it, a lot of people don't need therapy, a lot of people don't need medication, but the fact of the matter, some of us do. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay to admit that you need help, that you need therapy and that you need medication. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> so if, if you have any question about that, come to me and I'll, I'll, I'll answer. Of course, I'll do the best to do, I can do to answer the questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tatiana. And I will link your Instagram in the description of this episode. We appreciate you. And yeah, you'll have to just stay in touch. Keep me posted on, you know, how you're doing. Thank you so much. You're still kind of processing everything. And um, I hope a lot of people reach out to you because I know mental health is, it's a huge thing in this community and it's just nice to find people to relate to. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. All right. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.